for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Make a difference amongst us. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are God. And Father, we thank you for those notices. We're praying for the notices. Father, we thank you for freedom in Christ. We thank you for the truth that you, Jesus, have set us free. And that your truth helps us to understand who we are in you. And we pray, Father, I pray for those that are already signed up and those that are going to sign up today. Father, would you bring freedom and life and newness of life. Jesus, you came that we may have life in abundance. And we pray that each one that does that course would know that. And Father, for this half night of prayer, enough. Father, we want to commit ourselves to you to pray. The 13th of March, as we gather together on a Friday evening in Maidstone. Father, we're gathering to a God who can. Can make a difference in our world. In our circumstances. In the circumstances of those that don't even know you. So Father, I pray, would you speak to our hearts and our minds. Would you encourage us? as we get towards that day. Father, that we, like Jonathan Edwards and so many more that have gone before us, we commit ourselves to you in prayer. Gather together as your people to cry out to you to come and work through us for your glory. And Father, this morning we pray as we look at your words, would you speak to us? Father, would you help us to hear your voice? Father, would you teach us for your glory and our good? We pray. Amen. Well, my name's Martin. Um, I'm from Maidstone, as I've already said, I I lead the eldership um, there, and it's great to be here with you. We're part of the same family of churches, Relational Mission, we saw or heard Mike Betts speaking there, and uh, it's so good to to have friendship, to have relationship, known Graham for many years, and it's great to be here with you this morning. And before we open up God's Word, if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to 1 Peter, we're going to be looking there in a little while. I thought I'd just share a little bit about myself. Do you remember... As you're growing up, there were moments when you suddenly had a, a self-realisation. You had moments that you just discovered something new about yourself that you, you hadn't really appreciated before. Well, I was about seven or eight, I think I was, and um, I can't remember the purpose, but I'd been on a, a cross-ferry, uh, cross-channel ferry crossing um, over to Calais. I'd either been on a school trip, we, which we then went up to um, the Netherlands, or we'd been um, away with my, my mum and dad. And I remember the ferry crossing. Has anyone done that? Taking the ferry across to France? I won't ask how many was the booze cruise, but um, ferry crossing to to France. And uh, I remember the journey back was the worst journey that I've ever taken in my life. It was so bad that people were just holding onto the poles because the sea was so choppy. The, the boat was going up and down and people were just clinging onto the poles and bracing themselves in the corridors so that they wouldn't fall over as the boat went up and down. It was so bad that in the men's toilets and around there was trickles of what used to be inside people out on the floor. It's good, isn't it? You didn't expect to be thinking about this this morning, did you? You just had your breakfast. So what used to be inside was now out of people as the boat went up and down, was making its way to and fro. Just picture it in your mind, just going to and fro. It was at that point that I realised that I like solid ground. I don't like to be on unfirm ground. I like it when I'm on solid ground and nothing moves. I was probably 11 or 12 years old where I discovered something else about this revelation of myself. I remember um, 
playing a game on the top of um, Reculver Downs, which is um, above Sandown in the Isle of Wight. And at that time, Reculver Downs, you have grass banks, and then you have a sudden drop, white cliffs, and you have the sea. There were no barriers there whatsoever. With my propensity to like solid ground, I didn't like to go too close to the edge because you never know what's going to happen. Some of my friends, they were like, oh, look at that, standing right on the edge. And I was like, they're like, come and have a look. And I'm like, I don't want to have a look. I'm fine here. I like solid ground. You never know what's going to happen over there, standing on that unstable ground. It wasn't until um, me and my wife Sarah got married that, that she has the propensity to go to the edge and I have the propensity to, to stay back. We're, we're different in this matter. Um, she, she's happy to, to go and risk everything by standing on the edge just to see what's there. And I like to, to stand on solid ground. Why don't you just take one moment and tell someone next to you whether you're the kind of person that likes to be on solid ground and you don't want to go anywhere near the edge or you're the kind of person that likes to peer over. Take a minute. Why don't you share something about yourself with someone else? That's, that's, enough, that's enough time to, to be able to share those kinds of thoughts. Put your hands up if you like staying well away from the cliff. Yay! And put your hands up if you, like, if you like peering over the edge, you like risking all on unsteady ground. Well, whatever kind of person you are in, in, in relation to terra firma, standing on the ground here, this morning I want us to think about what it means for us to be, as Christians, safe and secure in our identity in Christ, safe and secure in what God has done on our behalf. Because what I've learned over many years of being in church leadership is that many Christians can find themselves, like I found myself on that boat, holding on, not really knowing whether the thing's going to go under or not, and feeling like the, the ground beneath them is constantly moving. In terms of assurance of faith, they have none because of many circumstances in their own life, but they're, they're, they're feeling like they're not standing on solid grounds. There are other people that have been like standing close to the edge where something happens and it feels like the ground has come away beneath them. I want to suggest this, that in God's words, God wants us who believe in Jesus Christ, who will confess him as Lord and Saviour, to know that in him we are secure. In him we are standing on solid Grounds. Analogies that are used in scripture is Christ is the foundation. He is the rock upon which we built. And it's a rock that is immovable. It's a ground that will never shift. And we never need to fear. So wherever you are in your relationship with God, in your understanding of scripture, and in the security of your salvation and your relationship with him, this morning I want to help us just by reading God's words and talking about it to see that those who believe in Christ are safe and secure in him. It's good news, and it helps us, particularly in days of trouble, particularly in moments of disaster, to know we are sound and secure in him. You've got your Bibles, 1 Peter. And we're going to read from chapter 1, verse 1. <coughs> Peter. An apostle of Christ, Jesus, of Jesus Christ, I'm reading from the ESV, 
To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience of Jesus Christ and for sprinkled uh, of Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Here we have a letter written by Peter. He was one of the closest friends of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. He is caricatured as the one that makes lots of mistakes. He's the one that got out of the boats in great faith and then began to sink as he looked at the winds and the wave. He's the one that, that began to, to ask whether he should build shelters for Moses and Elijah on the top of the mountain when Jesus was transfigured. He's sometimes caricatured as a, as a, a, a big, bold, but not so brainy fisherman. But the truth is, this is not the complete picture of who Peter was. You see, Peter was the one that Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church. Peter was the one who spoke at Pentecost to to declare to the crowds what was happening. Peter was the one who, when going up to the temple to pray, said, silver and gold I have none, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. You see, Peter was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was called by Jesus, called to leave his nets, to come with Jesus, and that Jesus would make him fisher of men. He was called to be an apostle. To Through him, God was going to gift and enable him, and through him to build the church, to help the church grow strong. So as we read this letter, we need to not think of a big bruiser of a fisherman who hasn't got many brains but actually a man who knew God, who was filled with his spirit, who had been called by God to serve God's purposes in the church, who was a church leader at the time, who's writing for the good of those who are going to receive his letter. The authorship of this book has not really been attested. People know this came from Peter. There are some books in the New Testament where where academics will take time to, to debate who actually wrote it. But here, there's, there's no doubt, Peter wrote this. And he wrote it to those who've been scattered. You see, after Stephen had been stoned, do you remember in Acts? It's Acts 7. Stephen stoned and, and the crowds got more hostile and Saul begins persecuting and pursuing the people of faith. And the church in Jerusalem dispersed. God was in that even. To scatter his people around and about. And it's to those who had left Jerusalem, to those who had faith in Christ, who had been part of the church in Jerusalem, that Peter is now writing to, to encourage them. The world has changed. They're no longer in the close uh, community that they were once part of. They've now been scattered to the four winds across vast areas. And they were facing opposition. They were facing disappointment and dejection. They were facing confusion. So, so Peter writes a letter to them to encourage them, to help them, to help them to know who they are, to help them to remember what God has done, and to help them to stand regardless of what is going on around them. Which is why it's a good book for us to read today. As God inspired Peter to write down what he wrote, God did it for the encouragement of the church. And today as we read, God is speaking to us for our encouragement so that we can stand 
even if the world around of us is shifting, just think about how much Great Britain has changed over the last 10 years. Massively changing. In terms of what we stand for as a people, it seems to be constantly changing. Well, regardless of what's happening in the world, God wants us to know who we are in him and to be safe and secure and stable in him. So this morning, we're going to think about what it means for God to be our source and to know the security that comes from him being the source of our salvation. So he writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So Peter is writing to those who've been dispersed, to those who are elect exilers, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Let's pause there. Those who had been elect, those who had been chosen by God to be his people. The doctrine of election in the church can, can so often be a stumbling block to, to those of us who try to get our minds around it. But here Peter writes, and he, he writes to those who are God's elect, those who are God's people, and he wants to help them to understand where their relationship with him, where their faith in him comes from. And what we have in verse 2 is the best exposition, uh, exposition or, 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 or explanation of what God has done for us who have faith in Christ. It's a triune ex, uh, explanation. Father, Son and Holy Spirit are all involved in us coming to know him. That the origins of us coming to faith is found in God alone. God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And it's what he unpacks here. You see, to those who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You see, foreknowledge can be seen in two ways. A scientist, a mathematician, having done their calculations, having studied what has been before, they can say with absolute certainty when the next eclipse of the sun is going to take place. They foreknow ahead of time something that is going to take place. Given mathematics, given observation of what's happened in the past, doing their calculations, they can say with a fairly accurate degree of certainty that this eclipse will take place on such and such a day. Do you remember the last solar eclipse? I remember um, Sarah and I, we were down in um, Bournemouth. We stood on the... Um, the banks there, looking out to the sea. And you can see this darkness just coming around. It's coming um, across, uh, it was before Paul, so Studlands. Good beaches, but be careful. Um, so it was coming across Studlands, and then sandbanks and coming around, past Paul, Bournemouth, Boscombe. And you can see this darkness coming. And there's all these camera flashes going as the solar eclipse took place. And then it was all dark. And the birds freaked out. And then suddenly you can see the light coming again. Why were... Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people stood on the banks of the end of the country at that point, at that time, because they had been told this is going to take place. We've done our works, we've done our calculations, and this is what is going to happen. You see, God has foreknowledge. God knows everything that is going to happen at any point of any day. God is omniscient. He knows everything. 
Did you ever realise that God never realised anything? <laughs> Did you ever realise that God never realised anything? Have you ever just suddenly, oh, you've, you've suddenly thought of something new? God's never had that because he's always known everything. There's nothing that is going to happen or, or could possibly happen that God doesn't already know about. So in, in that sense, he, he already foreknows. He has foreknowledge of what's going to happen. Some would say, well, God looking through the passage of time knows who's going to um, accept him as Lord and Saviour. He, he foreknows their choice and therefore adopts them in his family. But I want to suggest that foreknowledge of God is something more than just this. You see, God doesn't just stand there outside of time, the time that he's created, and, and can see everything that's going to happen. God is a God who also causes things to happen. He's not a mere observer, like the scientist or the mathematician. They can say what's going to happen, but they don't cause it. They're just mere observers of what's taking place. Whereas God is a God who is able to cause things to happen. You see, before the foundation of the world, Peter says later on in this chapter, God had chosen to send his son. And that in the fullness of time, Christ Jesus came into the world to die for sinners. You see, at the fall, Genesis 3, God knew what he was going to do. He made a promise that one was going to be born of woman that would crush Satan's head. His foot would be striked. But God would crush, or this man would crush Satan's head. You see, God has the foreknowledge. Like the scientists, he can see and he knows everything that's going to happen. He knows those who are going to be his. But it's more than that. God is also able to change. God is also able to work, to bring people to himself. Jeremiah 1 verse 5. We read this, God speaking about Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God speaking to a servant of God's, saying, Jeremiah 1.5, saying, I knew you, I've called you, I'm appointing you to be prophet. He's not just knowing Jeremiah's choices, he's declaring, I am choosing you to outwork my purposes. And was Jeremiah a prophet? Yes, he was, if you didn't know. He was a prophet just as God had called him to be. You got your Bibles? Let's turn to Romans. Romans 9, verse 10. When Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac Though they were not born and had, not done, had done neither good nor bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, and Esau I hated. What should we say then? Is this unjust? Uh, is, this unjust? is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Here, Paul is writing to the church to help the church know, help believers know, that God is the one who chooses those who are his. Remember Rebecca, she had two children. 
They were tussling in her stomach. God had chosen the younger to be over the older. That the older would actually serve the younger, just as it outworked in Jacob and Esau's life. When did God choose this? Before they were born, before they could do anything good or bad. It wasn't dependent on their works. It was dependent on God's sovereign choice. God chose how he wanted it to be, and he chose Jacob to be his. Is God unjust? Is there injustice? That's not fair. Why does God do this? Well, God spoke through Moses. God will have mercy on who he has mercy. Charles Spurgeon, the the famous preacher, once spoke on this passage, and after he had spoken, an older lady came to him and said, Mr. Spurgeon, I don't understand. Why is it that God hated Jacob? He said, Esau, that's not Jacob. Esau, why is it that God hated Esau? He said, Madam, the problem I have is why did he love Jacob? Why is it that God hated Esau? That's not my problem. Why is it that God loved Jacob? You see, God didn't spare the angels that rebelled against him. And he didn't have to spare us. We, who by nature are objects of wrath... We, because of sin, because of Adam's sin, because of our own sin, we are dead in our transgressions and sin. We are separated him because of the things that we have done. None of us deserve to go and be with him. None of us deserve to spend eternity with him. The fact that God hates sin shouldn't be a problem to us. But actually, God loves and calls some to be his this is what we're seeing outworked in the beginning of 1, 1 Peter. To God's elect. To those that God, through his foreknowledge, has called to be his. To set apart, to be part of his people. This doctrine can cause us problems. But don't let it. Peter is writing to the church. God, through him, is writing to his people to encourage his people that they would know who they are in him. That God has chosen them. That their salvation is in him. That before the foundation of the world, we have been called to be his. Beginning of Ephesians chapter 1. Do you know that you've been chosen by God? It's here for your encouragement. If you believe in Jesus Christ, it's because he chose you before the foundation of the world. He's loved you. Why? God has mercy on who he has mercy. And if you're sat there thinking, well, God didn't choose me. I don't believe in him. He he didn't choose me. You don't know that. You don't know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In 2 Peter, Peter says that God's not slow in keeping his promises so that the full measure will be saved. God wants none to perish. You see, we have scriptures that are here for our encouragement. We who have faith in Christ started with him who chose us. Does that make sense? It belongs to him. I can tell you of the day that I was saved. I grew up in the church. Uh, uh, I remember this one Monday evening, though, when I was about 13 years old. I was sat on a table, put my socks on after having done some gymnastics. Who would have thought, hey? Um, Okay, don't laugh. (laughs) So 
done some gymnastics, done some flips and that all about over uh, vaulting and that. And remember putting my socks on. I, I probably got one sock on. I, I had other things on as well. And um, just was arrested by that which I've always known, I now know to be true. And it's just a moment between me and God, sat in this little hall, getting dressed after gymnastics, that I just knew you are God and I'm, I'm going to follow you. That's my testimony of how I got saved. I chose that day to say yes to God. But what I know from scripture is this. Even though on that day I said yes to him, before the foundation of the world, he said yes to me. He said, Martin, you are mine. I love you, and in the fullness of time, you're going to come to know me. And that's good news. That's encouraging. So when I, after that point, put my hand up for many, many appeals afterwards just to make sure I really am part of his family. Actually, he wants me to know you're secure in me, because I chose you. Not only I saw what you were going to choose, but I chose you. And I so worked in you that day that you said yes to me. 1 Peter. To those who are elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You see, God knew us before the creation of the world and chose us to be his. In the sanctification of the Spirit. How is it that any of us responded to Jesus Christ? How is it that any of us said yes to him? If it's true that we're dead in our transgressions and sins, if it's true that we have been blinded by the prince of this world, that we cannot see, how is it that we saw Christ and said yes to him? The only way that we can say yes to him and the only way that we can respond to the gospel is if God works in us. God the Father we've heard foreknew us, he chose us to be elect part of his family and God the Holy Spirit so worked in us that we responded to Jesus Christ. You see the day that I said yes, putting my sock on, that was God by his spirit working around me and convicting me of that which I already knew. I had known it for many years, but it was on that moment the Spirit had brought me to that point of, of engagement and complete commitment with Christ. And from that point, always lived in me and indwelt me and helped me and continuing to sanctify me. You see, us being his, us being followers of Christ, was God's sovereign choice, the Father before the foundation of the world, the work of the Spirit, that t- moment, and from that moment for eternity, when we said yes to him. So if you said yes to Christ, that was because God by his spirit came and so worked in you. So for people that don't know him, people that haven't responded to him, how should we pray? Father, by your spirit, would you be at work around them? And would you help them to see the truth? Because we're not going to get it by human intellect or persuasive words. It's going to be by him working sovereignly in their lives. Through us, he may choose to work. But by his spirit, he'll bring life. So by the Father, by the Spirit, and the Spirit opens our eyes so that we can see the work of Christ in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience of Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. The only reason we can respond to the good news of Jesus is so good, but we can't see it because we're dead and we're blind, is because the Spirit has worked in us. Yet the reason that we can stand alive now is because Jesus laid down his life. This is of first importance, Paul says. Christ Jesus came into the world and he laid down his life. He was dead, buried and rose again that we too may have life. In one verse, 
Peter is writing to the church that is confused, dejected, struggling, unsure. And he reminds them of who they are. You are God's elect. You've been set apart by God. The Father chose you. The Spirit worked in you and on you. And Christ died for you. That is who you are. I don't know if you're reading the same as me, but that doesn't say much about what I've got to do. It's all about what he has done. The source of our salvation is in God alone. In Romans 11, if if grace is added to at all by anything, then grace is no longer grace. Grace is undeserved favour. You do nothing to earn it. Nothing to deserve it. And if you had to add anything to get it, it no longer is grace, but it is by works. We are saved by grace alone, through what God has done for us, his people. This is the firm ground that God wants each one of us to stand on. That it's not just me and my decision, it's not just me, me and, and well, I, I used to believe, I'm really not sure. If he has chosen me, if his spirit has worked on me and in me, and if Christ died for me, I now am his forever. What can separate me from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing above or below, now, in the past or in the future. No powers or principalities. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Romans chapter 8. That's good news, isn't it? And this is something that God wants each one of us to know. There is security in our salvation because the source of our salvation is dependent on God alone. I'm aware of the time. Let's read on. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in this last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes through uh, though it is tested by fire may be found result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ do you know that because of what God has done you have an inheritance you have an inheritance in this life Jesus said that he has come to give us life and life in abundance. Today, there is abundant life for each one of us who is in Christ Jesus. And if you don't know it or you feel that you're lacking in something, then talk to him about it. Jesus, we heard, let's, let's pray the things that God has promised. Jesus, you said that you've come that I may have life in abundance. I don't feel like I've got abundant life. I don't want to live by my feelings. But Jesus, if there's more life that you have for me, I want it. You up for praying that? It's a good prayer to pray. Jesus, I want everything that you have for me. Even if you need to recorrect correct me, not liking that so much, but even if you have to recorrect me or you have to prune me or reshape me, I want everything that you want for me. That's part of our inheritance. Here, Peter's talking about the inheritance that is yet to come at the revelation of Christ when he is revealed and he comes back in the world, the consummation of all things. After the second coming, 
that we have an inheritance that goes beyond this world, goes beyond the grave. It's imperishable. It will never pass away. How many of you have gone to the back of your cupboard when the cupboards are getting bare and you, you pull something out and you think, 1996? Really? <laughs> no, you're better housekeepers than us. Maybe 2004, 2005. We once um, lost a mobile phone. And um, three months later, we found it in the fridge. <laughs> that was really funny. But also, my goodness, we didn't look there for three months in the fridge. <laughs> Our inheritance in him never perishes. It never spoils. It never fades. Look at your curtains when you get home. Turn back, you'll see they faded with the sunlight shining on them. Our inheritance in Christ never fades. It never perishes, goes bad. It never spoils, goes off. Why? Because it's his. Because he gave it to us. He takes care of it for us. We can't do anything about that because it comes from him. And it's by grace alone, not by works that no man shall boast. There are scriptures that warn us of, of working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we need to not take lightly or glibly the things that God has done for us. Which is why later on here in 1 Peter, Peter says, finally, after thinking about all the things God has done, therefore, be holy as he is holy. We have a response to what God has done, but it comes much later, having known what God has done. You see, the grounds that we stand on is not my works or good works, but it's grace alone what God has done. We are saved because of him, because the Father foreknew us, because the Son died for us, and because the Spirit made our eyes open to it. And when loved ones pass away, when we go to glory, we can have absolute assurance of where we are going. Why? Because he says it. You're not coming to that mountain that Moses came to. You're coming to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. You're coming to the place where innumerable angels in festal gathering, I just can't wait to see that, are gathered. That's where you're coming. The church of the firstborn, you're going to be there with Peter. You're going to be there with Paul and Barnabas and Silas and others that you've read about. That you're going to be there and you're going to be one of the the, the spirits of the, the righteous made perfect. That is who you are. And you're going to worship the throne of God. It's not a wishful idea. It's not, well, maybe if I'm good enough, maybe if I keep it going long enough. It's based on what he has already done. God the Father decided it before the foundation of the world. The Son gave his life at the right time so that by the Spirit we will be added to his people. It's good news, isn't it? I think it's really, really good news. We as Christians, I've spent time with many people who are facing their own mortality or loved ones, sons and daughters who are facing the mortality of their parents. And so many believers struggle to know what Peter says is imperishable, undefilable, unfading. That actually why they have responded to Christ and they know something of his gospel. The assurance of what lies beyond seems to be lacking. I want to suggest this to you and to me. God doesn't want it to be like that for us. God wants us to know what he has done. 
And he wants us to know that where we are going is because of what he has done. It's not by anything good or bad that we have done. Jacob, Esau, before they were even born. Jeremiah, before he had done anything, God had his choice. For those of us who say yes to Jesus Christ, there is absolute security in him. Absolute security. And for those who don't know him, for those who haven't responded to the gospel, we need to be reminded that God would have none perish. God's heart is that none would perish. That the good news of Jesus Christ, he's loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Can I invite you to stand? Let's just take a moment before God. And while you may know what kind of person you are when it comes to cliff tops and being close to the edge, I would suggest you also know where you stand in terms of God and uh, the security in which you stand in Him. Whether you're in that place of standing solid ground going, yeah, I've read that and I believe that and I know that to be true. Or you might be standing in a place where (coughs) it feels like you're on the edge of a cliff and you're I'm sort of safe, but I feel a little bit shaky and a little bit worried that the ground will slip out from under my feet. I'm going to pray that God will bring security to each one of us today who knows and loves Jesus Christ, that we will know what he has done. Father, we thank you for your words. Father, we thank you for Peter's words here that speaking to those that have been called by you, the elect, It talks to us about him choosing us before the foundation of the world. That you, Holy Spirit, you worked so in us that we could respond to Jesus. God, we thank you. We thank you for you and all that you have done. And Father, I pray that by your spirit you would help each one of us to to know with more certainty today. And be I declare, like Romans 8 says, that nothing can separate me from the love of God. That we stand on grace alone, by faith alone. The Father, it's all your work. God, it's all your work. And that we can enjoy life in abundance with you today, Jesus, and security for tomorrow, with that which is unseen, because of what you have done. Father, be at work by your spirit. Holy Spirit, minister to our hearts and our minds that we may stand with assurance from this point forward. For your glory, we ask. Amen. Thank you.